grab out your Bible and something to take some notes with. Uh, we are starting a two-week series, kind of a mini-series, uh, this morning called Road to the Cross. Uh, and I went over a few different um, ideas for it, a few different ideas for the name for the series. This is kind of where we landed uh, last night on it. Just calling it Road, because if you're new with us, we study the Bible in series. And so we, we look a few weeks around a particular topic uh, or a book of the Bible. Or sometimes we do a character study about someone uh, in the Word. And a few times during the year, uh, the calendar kind of lends itself to the series as well. So you've got like Christmas uh, you've got Mother's Day. You get the idea, right? It kind of lends itself to the message. And one of those times is Palm Sunday and Easter. And so next Sunday is Palm Sunday, right? You know about Jesus on the donkey and the triumphant entry. And then you know about Easter, right? Jesus on the cross and then the resurrection. We know about those. But if you're like me, uh, honestly, the ministry of Jesus kind of starts with three and a half years, right? It starts with turning the water into wine at Cana. And then it, the last week starts with Jesus on the donkey going into Jerusalem. But everything else that he does is kind of just a jumble in between. It's kind of like, well, that's the ministry of Jesus. And so here's what I want to do with this series. I want to do this idea of Passover and the Passion. And I want to do this idea of the Easter service and all of that. But I want to start a week early. All right, everybody? And that is that next week, 95% of churches will give you Passion Week and Jesus on the Dunk, all those things. And I'm not shortchanging you. I'm going to give you that too. All right, everybody? We're going to have that next Sunday. But I wanted to back it up to this week. Because like I said, if you think about Jesus' ministry, we think water to wine, and then we think Jesus on the donkey, and then the last week. And a lot of the Gospels are concerned with that final week of his life. But I want to back it up one more week, because two weeks from the cross, Jesus is turning his face towards Jerusalem. And there's some very specific things that he does. Two weeks from Calvary, there's some very interesting things that Jesus does that maybe you've never placed at this moment in his ministry. You know the story, you've heard the time, but you've never thought about it that he's eight or ten days from the cross when he does those things. And so I picked four of them. And so it's going to be a little bit different, not good different, not bad different, just different, all right? So not, not like a normal story where I have three points and a poem and we kind of wrap it all up in a bow at the end. I want to look at four things from this week. Four things from two weeks from the cross. Four things that Jesus does. And I want to observe them individually and just see what we can learn from each one. You with me, everybody? You understand? All right. That's the best I can tell it. All right. So instead of my preacher's disease, three points, we're going to just observe and look at the things that Jesus did. Hebrews says, fix your eyes on him. Consider how he did it. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the life of Jesus. So let me set the scene. We're two weeks to the cross, two weeks from when Jesus will give his life, two weeks from the torture and the crucifixion and all that goes into Easter, two weeks from that moment. And Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. And so the religious leaders and the priests and everyone, they're all getting really, really nervous because Jesus is raising people from the dead. You understand that, right? Like it's, it's making them get a little bit nervous. They're wondering what he's going to do next. And so they're looking for ways not only to kill Jesus, but to kill Lazarus. It's a really interesting story. They, they're thinking because people are believing, they want to kill Lazarus a second time. They want to just get rid of him as well. And you read in your Bible. So all these things are happening. Jesus has raised him from the dead. And the first story I want to observe, we're going to kind of jump between the Gospels to recreate this week. But the first story I want to do is in Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to start in verse 17. And so now Jesus has turned towards Jerusalem. This is two weeks out. And he's going up to Jerusalem, and on the way, he takes the 12 his disciples aside, and he says to them, We're going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And they'll condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. Now, if you just kind of 
gloss over this. For the disciples, this is an incredible moment because Jesus is being as plain and as clear as he can possibly be. And this is amazing for them because, right, in the rest of the gospel, you have Jesus. He's got his parables. He's got metaphors. He's got he who has an ear. Let him hear. Right now, he is as clearly saying, I'm going to die in Jerusalem. I'm going to be given up. I'm going to be mocked and crucified and tortured. I'm going to die and I'm going to raise again. He gives the disciples this beautiful, this is what is about to happen, as clear as he can make it. And so let's see what the disciples do with this moment. What do they do when Jesus is as plain as he could possibly be? Verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, this is James and John, she came to Jesus. Right after he says, I'm about to leave you, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified and tortured and murdered. Right after he says that, the mama of James and John comes with her sons, kneeling down, and she asks a favor of Jesus. Come on, they're like, Jesus is going, we got to ask everything we want right now before he leaves. Like, we just got to get it all. We just got to ask Jesus. Now, Mark's gospel actually records them saying, teacher, we want you to do for us anything that we ask. That's gutsy, everybody. That's what that is. That's a little bit stupid, too. I don't know what that kind of do. I don't know about you. My kids will come to me and they will bring a blank. This is just something they've learned. I don't know where. They'll bring a blank piece of paper and they're like, will you sign the bottom of this? And they are so sure, like in their trickery, that that's all they have to do. And I'm like, and I'll just say, why? Why do you want? And it looks like I've asked, like, why is the earth round? Like, why are you asking dumb questions? Just sign, sign the paper. Like, what, what's up with it? their mind is just blown. But they love, they, they will come and, I, and they just want to write, you know, whatever they want on the top. And so I sign it in, you know, their mother's name. Come on, somebody. It's a great time. <laughs> but watch this. 21, Jesus looks at them. They come to ask him. He says, what do you want? That's a good question to ask if somebody's like, give us anything we want. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Let my sons be great. Let them sit next to you when you come into your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Now, this is almost like a trick question because he has just told them what that cup is, right? He has just said, beaten, crucified, flogged tortured, all of these things are about to happen to me. That's the cup I'm going to drink. Can you drink it also? And watch, he's actually, I don't think he's tricking them, but I think it's a trick question. Watch this. He says, can you drink the cup? And they're like, he's about to give us what we asked for. We can, we can drink the cup, Jesus. We can do what you're asking. Good, Jesus replied. You will indeed drink from my cup, but you're not going to get what you asked for. He just tricked him, right? He just got him. You already agreed, but you're not going to get this thing. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant, these places belong to those for who has been prepared by my father. Jesus is like, you're going to drink from my cup. You're going to die like I'm going to die for the gospel and for the kingdom. But he's like, hey, well, I can't give you what you're asking for. You want to be great in the kingdom. It doesn't go by asking favors like this. That's not how it works. And this actually on my right and on my left is reserved, he says. And so watch this. Watch what happens when the rest of the disciples find out. What James and John and James and John's mama have asked Jesus. And the other disciples hear what they did. The other ten about this. They were indignant with the two brothers. Like they are trying to sneak behind their back. Trying to be great in Jesus' eyes. Trying to get their mama involved. It becomes a thing. Come on somebody. Which on a side note. This is just an interesting thought for you. There is an interesting uh, fairly fleshed out debate. On the idea that comes down on the side that most of Jesus' disciples at this time are teenagers. Come on, somebody. And while I'm not coming down on either side of the debate, it would make so much sense, right? 
Like, it would just make so much sense that these are like, like 18, 19 year old guys running around with Jesus, asking the silliest, doing the dumbest. It just, it just makes sense in my mind. I don't know. That's funny. I don't care what you guys think. All right. So here they are. He's just told them he's going to be beaten, betrayed, crucified. And they start this pettiness and we would forgive Jesus. If he would just like forget you guys, they just start this. He would just be like, I have poured my life into you. And now I've told you I'm going through my hardest two weeks of my life. And this is what they come up with. Who's the best? Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to get the most reward? Who's going to do Jesus? Can you give us a favor before you go get beaten and crucified? Because we, we just need you to dispense a few more gifts. But he doesn't react that way. Watch what Jesus does. 25. He says, it's, they just call them together and he teaches them. He pours his life into them again. And he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first has to be the slave. Just as the son of man did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He says, you want to be great. You want to be high up in the kingdom of heaven. You want to sit high or whatever. It starts with being a servant on this earth. Starts with giving of yourself. And we don't like that message too often. We want Jesus to be the dispenser of great gifts and great royalty and great position and privilege and things. And he says, you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven. It starts with being the servant of all. And the first observation today, you could jot it down if you're taking notes in our own Christian walk. Is if we want to do anything of value for the kingdom, it starts with being humble. If we want to do anything of value to build the kingdom, it starts with serving. It starts with being low. Now, I've been incredibly blessed in my life uh, to see a lot of different ministries around the world and just to work with so many people who are such followers of God that I respect and admire. And I've had a chance just to see those ministries and see God working through them and from the small to the big, just to see God move in those things. But there was one moment in my life that I, I... Cannot forget, and I honestly have never held anything higher than that moment in my own personal life. And that is, I had a chance um, after college to kind of kind of travel and see different ministries around the world. And I spent a couple of months during this period uh, in southern India. Completely self-funded, by the way. I didn't ask anybody for a dime because I didn't want to have to write ministry update letters. Come on, somebody. I didn't want to... That's the truth. That's funnier to me than it is to you. But anyways, I, I'm, I got a chance to spend time in a, a lot of different ministries in Bangalore and, my, and all these different areas in southern India. And I, I had a chance as traveling alone, and I was a lot dumber back then. And so I would walk uh, alone in the dark at night just to kind of explore. I would just walk for miles and miles and get lost and then have to try to find my way back. And it was just something I enjoyed doing just to get alone with my thoughts and thing. And one night I ran across a little road in the dark. Uh, and there was a kind of a mini compound off of the road. And there was a little sign at the front that designated as a home of hope. And I didn't know what that was at the time. Uh, I've since learned. And actually the team that we went uh, a few years back, we went to a larger one of these. But let me just try to explain what it is. Because I don't think we have too much of a concept. This is a place, usually privately run, but it's a place where the worst of the worst are dropped. And so if the prisons won't take them, or if the government run homes won't have any way to take care of them... They are dropped at the door of a home of hope, whether it's a uh, a mental illness or it's a deformity, whatever it is, the worst of the worst and the ones who can't do anything that any other society has said that they are unhelpable. They are dropped at these places and this is where they are cared for. And I cannot explain to you what happens or how these places look. But I I didn't know at the time. And so I kind of walked up the road uh, just into the little mini compound and I came to the first building. 
uh, a little kind of hut there at the, the end of the road. And I met a guy in there about my age, and he said his name was John. And he was a Christian as well, and he told me that God had called him to that place to serve those people. And so he started to give me, in the middle of the night, he gave me kind of a tour. And they, most of the people were still awake, and it was a chance he just kind of showed me. And if you could have heard him talk about the people that he served and the way that he was called to serve them, you would have thought that he was like a butler to kings and queens. Because he would say, here is where I serve their meals and we try to make sure that it's things that they like and we, we want to love them in that way. And here is where we wash their clothes so that we can make sure that they are clean and have dignity. And here is where we teach them and try to rehabilitate however we possibly can so they know that they have life and love. And he took me around this, and to see his passion and the way that he served people. And then we ended up back at the little building where I had met him and we went inside And I met his wife, and she had lost both of her legs to leprosy. And before I could stop her, she got out of her chair and offered me the only chair in the room. And John and his wife, they sat on the floor for over an hour, and they talked to me about how God had called them as a couple to that place. Had called them to serve those people. Had called them to be, and they weren't talking like, we'll be here for two years and then, you know, we're moving on to bigger and better things. And there's greener, this is just temporary. They called, they said, this is where God has called us to serve. This is the people God has called us to love. And to show Christ's love to them. And if you could have heard them talk about these people. And listen to me, I don't have a phone number for John and his wife. Right? We're not Facebook friends. I, I, I couldn't find my way back to that street if my life depended on it. When I left that gate that night in the dark, I understood that's probably the last time on this earth that I will see John or his wife. But listen to me. I know two people that I will see again in the kingdom of heaven. I know two people that I will see. And listen, we talked last week about eternity in heaven and the sweet by and by. Come on, somebody. The marriage supper of the lamb and paradise and everything is perfect. But something we tend to forget is that the kingdom has assigned seating. And it's not an easy, come on, the kingdom, when we get to that marriage supper of the lamb, the first will be last and the last will be first. And I say this without any pretentiousness or self-false humility at all. And I only speak for myself. I don't judge another person in this room. But on that day, John and his wife will sit higher at the table than I will. Because they have learned something that I am only slightly figuring out. They have served and have given their lives to this idea that Jesus taught that the last will be first and the first will be last. That we are called to be the servant of all. You want to be great in the kingdom of heaven. You want to be great in the kingdom of heaven. Be a servant. Be humble. It starts with being a servant. Story number two this morning. Next verse in Matthew chapter 20. This is almost a quick aside in the story. He's taught them now. Uh, They've asked this silly question, but he he just kind of brings them together, teaches them, and then they move on. And so Jesus is still moving towards Jerusalem. We're like 10 days out. And so then in chapter 20, verse 29, he's moving and the crowds are pressing in. And these two blind guys start raising a ruckus on the side of the road. And so Matthew records it, watch as they're leaving Jericho, a large crowd, they follow him. And two blind men are sitting. And when they heard that Jesus was going, they started to shout, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And they start to shout as loud as they can. Lord, have mercy. Lord, Jesus is 10 days from the cross. He has things on his mind. He knows where he's headed and he's walking out of Jericho. He's going towards Jerusalem. And these blind guys start shouting, have mercy. And the crowd is like, shh, shh, shh. 
And it makes them shout louder. And they're like, Jesus, have mercy on us. And the crowd shushes. Jesus, have mercy. So they're shushing. It becomes this thing, all right? It becomes a ruckus because Jesus hears it. Watch. And it says in the next verse, and it said, the crowd rebuked them, but they shouted louder. And Jesus stopped and he called them. Like we would have forgiven Jesus if in these two weeks he wanted to like gear up for the cross, right? Like I got to get alone. I got to like Rocky Balboa. I got to have this music montage, climb the steps of Philadelphia. I got to get ready for the, like I got to pump myself up and make a push towards the cross. But he doesn't. It's not like Jesus disappears and then slips into Jerusalem. Like now I'm ready. He's still out there and people are crying out to him. And we would have forgiven if he just needs to set his focus and just do what he needs to do. But he hears them and it says he stops. And he calls them. He calls them. Verse 34, watch this. First one is to be humble. Second one is to be merciful. Have mercy. Because in one of his darkest moments, Jesus has mercy. Watch this in verse 34. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. And Jesus replies to them, watch. He had compassion on them. Another translation, he had pity on them. Jesus stops and he has mercy on them. Like I said, we would have forgiven Jesus if he just wants to go straight to Jerusalem and get this thing done. But he stops and he has mercy on these two guys in pity. He heals them. Be humble. Be merciful. Story number three this morning. So he heals the blind man. And the verse says that now they're following him and the crowds are with him and his disciples are with him. And we run across in story number three, one of the most well-known people in the entire Bible. This one actually surprised me the most. This one, I would not have placed this guy this close to the cross. Watch this in Luke chapter 19. Jesus enters Jericho. He's passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Come on. It's late March, early April. We got to preach about the tax man. Come on, somebody. It just, that's just what we got. It just, it's just written. I told you. It lends itself to the series. So he heals the blind people. They're following him. The crowds are with him. His disciples are with him. Now he's passing through. And Zacchaeus comes on this scene. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. And Jesus passes by and Zacchaeus has climbed up in the tree and he's trying to see Jesus. And like the blind man at least called out to Jesus. At least the blind men were making a ruckus and Jesus finally turned and healed them. Zacchaeus is not, Zacchaeus is up in the tree. But watch what the story says. Even at this moment, Jesus stops. Even at this moment, Jesus stops and Zacchaeus, not shouting, he's just chilling up in the tree. And Jesus is like, Zacchaeus, come down from there. I have to go to your house today. I have to. Zacchaeus, I'm, I'm eight, ten days away from being beaten and tortured and crucified, being slain for the sins of the world. But today, I have to have lunch at your house. You read these, how close this is to what Jesus is about to do. And he stops, looks up in the tree and he's like, Zacchaeus, let's go. We got to go to your house today. We would have forgiven. He's like, I I have only two weeks left. I have to have a mass crowd to make a mass impact. No, he's like, this one person, I'm going to go to his house. In fact, I'm going to make all of the crowds mad. Watch what happens when he calls Zacchaeus. The crowds, watch this in the next verse. verse, He says, Zacchaeus stood up, said, back before this one. It says that the crowd starts to mutter about what Jesus was doing. When he says, Zacchaeus, I need to be in your house. It said all of the crowd got so angry that Jesus would go to the house of Zacchaeus. 
And we say, well, that fickle crowd, they just were sinners. They just didn't understand what Jesus was trying to. We would do the exact same thing. Come on, somebody. That IRS auditor is saying, I need your tax receipts from 2014. And you're like laying hands on your filing cabinets trying to figure out, you know, how you're going to. And Jesus pokes his head in. And he's like, while you are doing that, the tax auditor and I are going to lunch. Come on, somebody. We would mutter all the way Bunch of heathen people. I know you would be. We'd be. But the crowd mutters about what Jesus is doing. They start to grumble. They start to complain. But Jesus goes to his house and watch what happens. It says he somehow he has lunch with Zacchaeus and then something happens. Luke doesn't tell us what it is. Luke just kind of skips over that part. Something happens at that lunch. Where Zacchaeus jumps up, he's like, Lord, I will repay over and above what I have taken. I will give back. Lord, I repent. And watch what Jesus says. Watch what he says in the next. He said, I'll pay back four times the amount. And then Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house. Salvation has come to this house for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is why I came. Jesus is saying, this is, this is the reason that I came in this moment. And number three, jot it down if you're taking notes. Be humble, be merciful, but be purposeful. That even in his darkest moment, Jesus isn't forgetting the one in the tree that he's trying to save. That even in the moment where he's at his worst, he's saying, this is why I came. Be purposeful. Never forget. Twice now he could have passed by. But he doesn't forget the mission. Two weeks, his last two weeks on this earth. And he's at Zacchaeus' house eating lunch. We forget the importance of our purpose. We take our eyes off of the main thing. We let things distract us. Small things or big things, we let things take us off of our purpose. And I can just feel this. Jesus is so close to Easter. He's so close to the crucifixion. And still he stops, gets the crowd all riled up and goes to Zacchaeus. It goes for the one, goes after the one and says, salvation now has come to this house. But too often, church, we get our eyes off of our purpose. And we let the cares of life distract us. And we get distracted in the things. A couple of years back, I was driving here to the church. I was out on Florida Boulevard, just kind of coming back, carrying some stuff in my truck, uh, back from Denham Springs. And so I'm coming across the bridge. Uh, and I don't remember what I was carrying. I had something, I think a bunch of construction material in the back of my truck. Uh, and it was fairly crowded, a little bit of traffic on the bridge. And I'm just, I'm just belting out songs. And if you've ever ridden it in my truck with me, I have an iPod. Uh, it's about 20 years old. And it sits in my glove box and it's stuck, everybody. You can't get music on it and you can't get music off of it. And so it's like my favorite songs from 20 years ago. It's amazing. It's just my, and I know them all by heart. Come on, somebody. It's amazing. I can just sing them at the top of my lungs. And so I'm just, I'm just having a great time just singing with my, my little iPod. And I remember I'm, I'm kind of driving, got my hands on the wheel, and I see something out of the corner of my eye crawling across the top of my windshield. And I did what all of you do. I told myself, surely it is on the outside of my windshield. Come on, somebody. Surely it is on the outside. And I looked up, and assuredly it is on the inside of my windshield. And a spider is crawling across the top of my windshield inside my truck. Now, let me just pause right here and tell you I don't like spiders, all right? I think I have made that clear. If I haven't, I don't like spiders, all right, everybody? That is just like my least favorite thing. I understand all of the concept that they are man's best friend and they eat all the other nasty little bugs and they're important for the ecosystem. I don't like them, all right? I can't explain it to you. It's not my thing. And so I'm watching this spider and the, I've told this story to a couple of people and the question they always ask me is, well, how big was it? Big enough, all right, everybody? <laughs> it was big enough 
And we'll just leave it. So he's crawling. So I'm trying to keep an eye on him, trying to keep an eye on the road and trying to reach for something in my dash. All right. Trying to a receipt or a napkin or something that I'm going to squish this guy. And the music is still blaring and everything is still OK. All right. It's still a good time. And I'm trying to grab like this and I find something and I'm still watching him, hoping I can like disconnect my eyes so I can do both of it. And I take my napkin and I get ready, right? You have to wait for like a moment in the song. It has to be a moment. Like, dude, I get ready and I make my move. And he jumps, everybody. (laughs) He jumps directly into my lap. (laughs) And I lose my mind, everybody. I don't know how to, I I don't know how to explain it. Maybe you understand what I am talking about, all right? I I lose because I have a spy. Now suddenly I don't care that I am driving. I don't care that my song is playing. I don't care that I am at the wheel of a two-ton death mobile coming down the road. I don't care that there are people all around me. I have one mission in my life to kill this little demon before I die. Come on, somebody. Like, that is my, that is my one. There is a spider. I don't know where he is. I know the general vicinity. I know kind of where he it is. My, my, I'm no longer, my hands are no longer on the wheel. My mind is no longer on earth. Life is over, all right? Because my nightmare has come true. And I don't care that suddenly I am now swerving into the lane next to me. And people are starting to honk. The people in the back drop back because I am the lunatic now on the road. I am screaming. I have lost. I am screaming like the little frightened child that I am. I just let you picture the scene. I have lost my mind. And I somehow make it off the bridge on all four tires. And right past there, a little bit past, you have that little service road I got off on. And I'm still screaming and the world is still ending. And I pull off. And at that time, the school there had their carpool out on that road all the way backed up. And so I (laughs) fly past the carpool. I'm in the wrong lane. I throw it in park, jump out of my truck, and I show them the dance of my people. It's amazing, everybody. All right. It's an incredible. And I go down the line. Come to church. Come to church. It's great. It's great. And I, I never found him. Come on, somebody. I never, I never. So in my mind, he still lives in my truck and he owns it. And I just borrow it on the weekends. All right. It just is amazing. We take our eyes off what actually matters. If you don't mind spiders at all, you're probably thinking if you had just remained calm and kept your hands on the wheel, you probably would not have come but a few seconds of death. I cannot explain it to you, but I did it. I lost my mind and I lost control. Too often in our lives, we can't even explain it, but we let the smallest things take our eyes off of what matters. And we make mountains out of molehills. And we think this is what, and we let our eyes take our eyes off of Jesus is headed to the cross, everybody. I'd say that's a pretty big deal. And he still stops. He looks up in the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, I have to have lunch with you today. I know this isn't going to save all of these crowds. They're going to get really, really angry at what I'm doing. But I know that right now salvation is coming to your house. Be purposeful. Never take your eyes off of the mission. That honestly, probably all these things that we're letting take our perspective and take our attention and get us off track probably don't matter all that much in light of eternity anyway. Be humble. Be merciful. Be purposeful. He says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. And Jesus is saying, a cross next Friday isn't going to stop me from going to Zacchaeus' house this week. Be purposeful. Story number four this morning. Jesus leaves Jericho and he comes to Bethany uh, to the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And rumors come out of Jerusalem that the priests are about to seize Jesus if he shows his face at the Passover. And it's starting to come to a head. You can feel the story kind of culminating. 
And a million people are about to descend on Jerusalem. All of Israel is going to be there. And the disciples are hearing these rumors that they're going to seize Jesus. And it's almost to the final week. It gets a little tricky uh, with the way that the Jewish people count their days from evening to morning. But we're, we're about a week out. We're almost there. And Jesus calls two of his disciples to him. And he gives them, we're going to read this, because he gives them one of the funniest jobs in the gospel. I don't know if you read humor in your Bible. This, to me, is probably, of the, all the jobs he gives the disciple, this is the funniest one, all right? He gives them a lot of serious jobs. This is the one that just, I love this. He calls two disciples to him, and he sends them to the next village over, going up to Jerusalem. And watch this. In the approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples, and watch what he says to them. He says, go to the village ahead of us. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there. So this isn't like look in the field and there's this wild animal that maybe you can catch. He's like, go in and somebody has tied this donkey to a post. Somebody who owns this donkey, somebody who cares about this. Go there and find the donkey, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. Now, can you imagine these two disciples? Like their mind is probably, but they have been with Jesus and heard his teachings for three and a half years. And now he's like, I want you to go in the city. I want you to find a donkey and I want you to take it. Like this is not a metaphor, everybody. All right. Jesus isn't speaking in riddles to the donkey, to the disciples. He is saying, go and take this donkey and bring it back to me. And so he sends them today. And so he just, I, I love this story. And watch this, the next verse. He says, and if anyone says anything to you, I love that. We're going to come back to that in a moment. But I love this story. He says, if anybody says, but he tells them, go and take. And I love this because Jesus is a borrower, everybody. We're going to put this. He just loves to borrow things. And I like that because I also am a borrower. Anyone else you are a borrower? Anybody want to take? Anybody sitting next to you is a borrower? You just, they just take your stuff? Anybody? <laughs> a few more, a few more uh, people raise their hand at that one. I love to borrow. And I am probably the worst kind of borrower that there are because I will never bring it back. Come on, somebody. I just like, you will have to come looking for it. Like if it's a tool or a, a pen or scissors or whatever it is, you have to come back and be like, is that mine? I'm like, so it is. Here you go. I pre- appreciate your ministry. It's kind of a joke around the staff that only I laugh at. It's amazing. I take, I borrow tools. I borrow scissors. I borrow chocolates. Come on, somebody. I just borrow everything. I will borrow. If you are my friend, I will borrow. If you are not, I got no shame in my game. I love to borrow. And I read this and I loved it because Jesus is a borrower. And, and I love to say, I'll just read it. They said, Jesus borrowed a manger to be born in. Jesus borrowed a boat to preach in. He borrowed loaves and fishes to feed the multitude. Jesus borrowed the upper room for the last supper. He borrowed this donkey to ride into Jerusalem on. And the last thing he borrowed was a tomb, everybody. Three days, you can have it back. I don't need it very long anymore. <laughs> That's good preaching. Thank you very much. But Jesus sends them. To get this donkey, he sends him out and he's like, and if anybody says anything about it, tell them the Lord needs it. Imagine you are this disciple that Jesus is like, I want you to go take this donkey. And if anybody's like, hey, you just be like, the Lord has need of this donkey. Go on, go on now, go do it. And we don't know which disciples he sent to do this. I like to imagine, this is my holy imagination, that he sends one really good thief and he sends one like, like really clumsy guy with him, all right? And he's like, if old Butterfingers here messes this up and somebody is like, hey, what are you doing with my donkey? You just tell him the Lord needs it. And this is one of those stories that we just kind of roll with because we want to get on with the story. But it's kind of crazy, everybody. It's like you leave church today and you go out and somebody's like sliding behind the wheel of your car. And you're... And they're like, the Lord needs it. I bet the Lord needs it. All right. I bet the, 
like a Star Wars band. The Lord has need of it. <laughs> I remember teenagers. It makes so much sense. Come on, somebody. Some of you young people are like, I'll steal a car for Jesus. I'll steal a car right now for Jesus. That's just... <laughs> Where was I? Luke 19. <laughs> so they go and they do it. He said, why, why are you untying the coal? Watch this. So they go. The two went and found it just as he had told them. And as they're untying it, the owners asked them. Their worst nightmare comes true. The owners are like, why are you untying the colt? Why are you taking our donkey? Well, what's going on here? And what's, and the disciples, to their credit, watch this. They tell, they said, they replied, the Lord needs it. And they crossed their fingers and they waited. And they waited. <laughs> And somehow, magically, between verse 34 and verse 35, something magical happened. I told you, Luke doesn't tell us. He didn't tell us what happened at lunch with Zacchaeus. He doesn't tell us what happens here. Luke is like the George Costanza of the gospel writers, right? He's just like, they're like, the Lord has need of it, yada, yada, yada. They brought it to Jesus. Come on, somebody. Like, I have... I don't know what happened. I don't know how they... They bring it to Jesus. It worked, everybody. Don't you go doing it, all right? If we just don't you, but it worked for them. They brought it through their cloaks, put Jesus on it. And Jesus gets on the donkey and he goes along the road and people spread their cloaks and he came near and he turns towards the Mount of Olives and he turns towards Jerusalem and he turns towards the cross and he turns towards crucifixion and we are one week out. He turns towards all the thing. And last observation before we close today in your Bible or your app, this part of the Bible is probably called the triumphant entry. This is that middle point of our two-week series. This is that moment where he's writing. We're going to talk about it next week, but I would just submit to you today, just maybe something a little bit, that if this is the triumphant entry, this is not the animal I would have chosen for it to happen. Just want to throw that out there. We're going to talk a little bit next week about this. It'll be Palm Sunday. It'll be great, everybody. But this is not, I just want to get this out to you, right? Like, have you seen, some of you maybe own one, but have you seen a donkey? This is like the ugliest animal that he could possibly, in his sphere, or in this area geographically, it's probably the ugliest thing he could have picked to ride in, in his triumphant entry. And you say, don't try to tell me it was the animal of the time period. They were as ugly back then as they are today, everybody, all right? That, is not, that hadn't changed all that much. Or you try to say, well, 1,900 years before this moment, right, the prophet Zechariah prophesied that, look, Israel, your king comes riding on a donkey. But that holds water until you realize Jesus is the word made flesh. He was there from the beginning with God at creation. He could have prophesied any animal he wanted. He could have said, behold, Israel, your king comes riding on an elephant. Come on, somebody. Prince Ali, fabulous he, Ali Ababa. It's, it's an amazing moment he could have had. And he chooses, he could have chose a war horse, he could have chose anything he wanted. And he says, look, Israel, your king comes riding on a donkey, a lowly, ugly animal. Come on, somebody. And the more I studied this, though, the more I realized how much I love this choice. How much I love that he chose the donkey. And don't let me offend you, everybody, but just maybe, just maybe, Jesus has chosen what is foolish to confound the wise. And just maybe, I think it speaks to the heart of God when he chooses things and when he chooses people to use. Because maybe Jesus doesn't want the war horse at this moment. Because Revelation is clear. He's coming back on the war horse, everybody. And he's bringing judgment at that point. But at this moment, he's bringing salvation and freedom to the captives. And so maybe when he calls us as his ambassadors 
of this same freedom and gospel. Maybe he doesn't want the war horse or the chariot or the king's animal. Maybe he wants you and maybe he wants me and maybe he wants the donkey to carry Jesus. And I will offend every single one of you. Maybe he wants what is foolish and what is ugly to confound the wise and the beautiful. Maybe he wants us to carry Jesus in whatever scenario or whatever place he has put us, whatever post you are tied to, whatever season you are called to, whatever place you have found yourself. He is saying, I need you there. And the final point this morning is just be willing. We got to be willing to do what God has called us to do in the place that he has called us to do it. And the fact that he chooses the foolish to confound the wise is the incredible testimony that we have of the gospel that he would choose us as ambassadors of Christ. That God would choose us to carry Christ, to be at our post when the master calls and to be willing. Be humble, be merciful, be purposeful, be willing. And we're one week to the cross. Bow your heads with me as we pray today. Father, I just ask you this week. Lord, let our eyes be open. Lord, we thank you for the Passion Week. We thank you that this week before, though, you still example and show the way that we should live our lives. Let us pattern our lives after you. Jesus, right now we ask, give us the strength to be merciful to those that maybe don't deserve our mercy, but you have called us to it, to be purposeful. Never take our eyes of what you have called us to do. Lord, that we, Lord, we ask you right now that you would give us that humility. To serve others is better than ourselves. And then, Lord, let us be willing. Let us never take our eyes that we are called as servants of the king and the kingdom. That we are called to carry Jesus to every dark area of this world. And, Lord, at whatever post or place you have called us to. That you have a purpose for us and you have a reason for us to be there. And you have called us to reach others. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Now, everybody's still praying. I want to give a moment. If you're here today or maybe you're watching online. And maybe you've asked a lot of questions about uh, this whole Christian thing or this God thing. Or maybe you're at a place in your life and you've done some self-discovery or reflectiveness. And maybe you've realized that you are as far from God as you could possibly be. I want to give you an opportunity this morning. And I would just ask you in as humble a way as I can, I would just ask you to consider Jesus. Consider the way that he lived and the way that he loved and the way that he gave his life. Because maybe you've met Christians who are full of pride and it turns you off to the whole thing. And we need to own that. But I promise you, Jesus was more humble than any person or anything you could ever imagine, that he humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. That he didn't have to, but he gave his life for a ransom for many. That at any point he could have turned back, at any point he says, I, I could have called legions of angels, I could have asked my father at any point, but he laid his life down. No one took it from him. I would just encourage, consider what Jesus did. And maybe you've met Christians who are prideful, but that's not Jesus. And maybe you've met Christians who condemn at every corner and every person they could possibly come across. I would invite you to realize that's not Jesus. The Bible says he didn't come into this world to condemn, but that through him the world might be saved. That he gave his life to set you free. Consider Jesus. And so in this moment, I want to give you that opportunity.
Our church has declared we will give every time we meet together, we will give an opportunity to follow Jesus. I'm not trying to sell you on church membership. I'm not trying to take you to a I'm not trying to say you got to give a certain whatever. I'm not trying to do any of that. I'm trying to say right now in this moment, you can decide to follow Jesus. You can decide. So we'll bow our heads. I'm not looking to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you stand up or come to the front. I'm not, it's not what I'm in this for. And whether you're watching online or you're listening at the podcast at some date in the future, or you're here in this room right now, I don't care where you are right now. And I don't care what you've done. All I care about is in this moment, you can make a decision that will not only change your life, it will change your eternity. And so we're going to pray this prayer with you. Listen to me. It is a prayer of surrender. It is turning over your life. It's repenting of what you have done. And it's saying from this moment on, I'm going to follow Jesus. And we're going to pray it with you. Nobody prays alone. If you say, I want to make that decision right now. I want to make that decision. Best thing you will ever do in your life. But right now we want to pray with you. Say these words. You have to say it and you have to mean it with your own heart. But say this. Say, Jesus, save me. I repent. Forgive me of all my sin. I believe you died on a cross. And I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, church. Can we give God praise for what he's done today?